Hi there, and welcome to Live from the Cyber Institute. In this podcast, we listen in on conversations taking place among ministers, church leaders, and scholars as we engage the issues facing Christians and church leaders today. We hope that this episode is thought-provoking and a blessing to you, because as with everything we do in the Cyber Institute, our mission is to equip church leaders and help churches thrive. After you listen, make sure to follow our podcast so that you get all the latest episodes from your podcast platform of choice. Let's get started. Well, welcome everyone to the latest episode of Live from the Cyber Institute. My name is David Kneipp. I'm the Associate Director uh, here at the Cyber Institute, and I'm glad you are here, and I'm very glad today to be sitting down with Susie Macaluso, who is uh, a part of our cyber team that maybe some of you haven't met before, uh, and we want to introduce her to you today. We want to let you get to know her and some of the work that she does. So Susie, welcome. We're glad you're here. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about uh, kind of yourself in general, and then we'll get more specifically into kind of what you do with and for Cybert and why why we're glad you're part of the team. Yeah, so I grew up in Northern California in a non-denominational church, and I didn't really know what denominations were or what different religious traditions were, um, but I knew I wanted to go to a Christian college. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I ended up somehow at Cascade College in Portland, Oregon, um, and that began kind of my relationship with Churches of Christ. Um, that also began my relationship with sociology mm-hmm. um, and the study of sociology and just my fascination with what makes people the way that they are. And so then that led to going to Purdue University to do my master's degree and PhD in sociology, as well as a certificate in survey research methodology. Uh, leaving Purdue, I uh, was scheduled to graduate in uh, 2008, which nice. was a terrible time to yes. hit the job market. I remember it <laughs> not fondly. I, I was a little bit behind that, but I had friends who were graduating and they were freaking out. Yeah. So we ended up at Pepperdine for a few years, Mm -hmm. uh, my husband and I, um, him working in athletics, me as a visiting faculty member there. And then an opportunity opened up at ACU to come on faculty here as the sociologist of religion. They were really interested in that particular subspecialty of sociology. Uh, And so we came here and I've been here for 12 years now. Wow. All right. Well, we are so glad you are. So, so how then did you get connected with the Cyber Institute? Because I mean, we've got plenty of folks at ACU who are doing their own thing and not really part of this team. But how did, how did you begin to have a relationship with Cyber? Yeah. So interestingly, uh, sociology became merged with communication uh, ten years ago. Okay. And Carly like at, the, at the departmental level. At the departmental yeah, yeah, level. Yeah. Yes. Uh, And Carly Dodd, a faculty member in communication at the Mm -hmm. time, um, had been working with the Cyber Institute on the uh, minister's salary survey. Right. And he he and Carson Reed had this idea for a survey that might help churches in some way. Um, And so Carly brought me into that conversation. um, And I worked with him on what we now know as the church health assessment. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from there, it's just been a really great partnership um, working together with several folks over here in the Cyber Institute and with consultants outside of the Cyber Institute. Yeah. Yeah. Because your work with Cyber, you've been able to do things kind of with our office staff kind of people, but also with some of the consultants and churches that we've been able uh, to serve in different ways. Yeah, Yeah, that is great. Well, that is the reason that I'm really excited for us to sit down together. You know, I assume that most people would not be surprised to find out that on the cyber team, you've got biblical scholars and you've got theologians and people with ministry backgrounds, but they might be surprised to find out that we have a sociologist uh, on our team. Um, So as we get things started here, can you just sort of give us a working definition of sociology and then maybe 
narrow it down a little bit to sociolo sociology of religion, like what's in view, what are we studying? Uh, you know, when I think of sociology, I, I know we're talking about people, but how is that different from something like anthropology, psychology? So can orient us a little bit, if you will. Yeah, so that's a great question. So sociology is probably one of the least well-known social sciences. Okay. Um, but sociology is really the study of society. Okay. Um, so we do study people, but really more kind of the aggregate of people. Mm -hmm. um, so how people kind of come together in groups or large groups like societies, nations, states. Um, and so sociology, though, can look at that macro level, uh, the, the societal level. Um, it can also look at what we call the meso level, which would be like the organizational level. And in okay. my work, that would mean kind of churches. Okay. And it can look at the micro level, which is kind of where sociology and psychology start to overlap, mm -hmm. um, is the social psychology looking at kind of people's motivations for things, why they belong to churches, why they might leave a church. Um, and so sociology has a very wide breadth um, of study, and you can study lots of different subspecialties. Right. You do political sociology, health and medicine. Uh, so religion is one of those subspecialties that really focuses on the human aspects of religion. Mm -hmm. So Emil Durkheim, who is one of the founders of sociology, wrote in his book, The Elementary Forms of Religious Life, that religion is eminently social. Uh, religion is really about the community, the people who come together. They come together around beliefs and practices that help to connect them to something bigger, something sacred. But that piece about community mm -hmm. is kind of the key uh, for sociologists and for Durkheim. So for sociologists of religion, our understanding of religion is really about the social aspects. The Why do people do what they do? Okay. Um, what draws people to certain religions and not others? Why are some religions declining and others growing? Um, why is religion on the decline in some parts of the world and not in others? Mm -hmm. um, and so those are some of the things that we are interested in. And this overlaps with anthropology of religion in some ways, but in a way, sociology tends to take a more kind of broad overview mm -hmm. of sociology or of religion, um, whereas anthropology really digs deep into a particular religion, a particular culture, yeah. to really understand kind of the way that people uh, participate in religion. And kind of what they do. Exactly. Yeah. And so sociologists are more interested in kind of the correlates of religion. What are the things that kind of correlate with religion? So the relationship between religion and politics, mm -hmm. the relationship between religious and religion and income, uh, religion and gender. Yep. Um, those types of questions are things that sociologists are more interested in. That makes sense. I mean, what I hear you saying is there's kind of a, uh, a blending of some elements are what are the things that people do or kind of have agency with choices people make, but also how do things affect those human communities? So whether it's external factors or, uh, you know, aspects of the community tradition, how does that affect people at that broad level? We want, we want to understand what's happening for and with people. Exactly. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned some about uh, it was in college that you were really first exposed to um, sociology and sociolo sociology of religion. What do you think got you interested in those? I mean, I, I am reasonably outgoing. I like human beings. I like religion. I don't know when I first thought that those could come together as an element of study. So just kind of tell us that story. How did you get interested in sociology? 
Yeah. So when I was in undergrad, I uh, took a sociology class okay. with Dr. Brian Simmons, okay. who's now Oklahoma Christian. Um, and it was actually a sociology of sports class. Oh, nice. Um, but it was my first kind of introduction into a pure sociology okay. class. All of my other classes had been kind of cross-listed. So mm-hmm. social psychology or uh, interpersonal communication or kind of culture classes. Um, and I really loved the theoretical perspectives that sociology took. Um, but at the time, I was also really interested in studying the Bible, studying yep. religion. Um, and I thought, as I was kind of nearing the end of my time in undergrad, I was thinking about what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to teach at the college level. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I wanted to do that. So I was kind of thinking, do I go into psychology? Do I go into sociology? Do I go into biblical studies? And the thing was, I was a woman in the Churches of Christ sure. in the early 2000s. Yep. And at Cascade College at that time, women could not teach mixed Bible classes. Mm. And so to me, it seemed very, it just didn't seem like the smart move to go into a field where I wouldn't be able to get a job. Right. Right. Um, or so, at least that it would have been really difficult. difficult. Yeah. Right, sure. I didn't know that there were schools like ACU who at the time was already uh, including women mm-hmm. in their departments of Bible missions and ministry. Um, but that led me then to wanting to understand why, mm. why were there things that I was excluded from because of my gender? Yeah. Um, and so that led me then into sociology of religion. I was also really interested in kind of what was going on with people my age um, and people who were leaving religion. So I saw a lot of my friends kind of leaving the church. I myself went through a period of struggle in my early years in grad school, and I wanted to understand kind of what made people leave. Um, What was it about religion that they weren't attracted to? Because my friends were still very spiritual people. They very much had personal faith and belief in God, but they were repelled by some of the human aspects Mm -hmm. of religion. And so to me, sociology of religion can help me kind of answer those questions. Yeah. I mean, we're kind of, we're talking about that broadly now, but Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, I mean, you were on the West coast slash Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. So you were right on the front leading edge of that. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Well, so uh, in in light of that, I guess this is maybe the big question for our listeners. Um, why is it a good thing that we have a sociologist of religion on our team with the Cyber Institute? Like, wh- why, why do we need you? Yeah, so there's several things that I bring to the table. Mm-hmm. So one is my survey research skills. Mm-hmm. So sociology, one of the things that we are known for is our research methodology and very... Um, scientific method used to study society. Um, And so I have a degree or a certificate in survey research methodology, which Mm -hmm. means I just took a lot of classes in statistics and how to write survey questions. And and I bet there are a lot of our listeners right now that are super jealous (laughs) about all those classes in statistics. I'm just kidding. I love, I love math and like that, but okay. So keep going. I'm interrupting you. So that's part of it, right? Uh So I bring that survey expertise to the field. And there are just some times where a church wants to understand what's going on in their congregation and they need some way to get feedback. Yeah. And so having a survey, having a way to collect data and to look at things a little bit more objectively to kind of take a, take a step out of 
the the congregation and look at it from a broad view Mm -hmm. allows you then to dig into maybe some of the deeper issues or some of the things that you've been trying to overlook in the congregation. Um, So that's one thing. The other is just a different perspective, right? So it's always helpful when you can look at an issue from multiple perspectives, Um, when you can look at what's going on in a church and in church relationships through the eyes of ministry experts, but also through kind of that sociological lens um, to understand kind of the motivations that drive people. Um, And so you can have all of the great programming that you want, but if you don't understand the context that you are in and the people that you are trying to serve, it's not going to work. And so you really, I think you really need that kind of um, expertise in kind of the human side of things Mm -hmm. and the social aspects of church. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I'm, I'm imagining, I mean, so my dad was an elder for 35 years uh, in the church I grew up in. Uh, you know, it was a little church, and I would imagine that for a lot of church leaders, if there is a sense that something's going on, probably the first thing they're going to do, they may pray for it, pray about it, but then also try to talk to people. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, you know, in our churches, a lot of us are very unaware of you know, it's just how power dynamics work. If if a leader goes and talks to a member of the church, the leader is likely hoping that they're going to get some great information and not thinking at all about the fact that the respondent may change the things that they say or how they say it based on the relationship they have, the, the power imbalance, you know, all that stuff that's going on. And so one of the things I've loved learning about with sociology is the the different kinds of assessment methods. So kind of the, the more quantitative side, the qualitative side, you can ask big, broad questions. You can also dig more deeply. You can be anonymous if you want, but you can also allow people uh, to, you know, to identify themselves. And that I think can be so helpful uh, for church leaders. Like you're saying, that kind of stepping out not only of the context, but also the person who's asking the questions doesn't have necessarily a relationship with people in the church. But also what you were talking about with context uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, right now, there are so many churches that are struggling in different ways. Um, you know, and we know this with, with families, with churches, when they're struggle, it's very easy for us to think we must be the only ones or it must be something that we're doing wrong. And what you can bring to the table as someone who knows those broader contexts is, well, I mean, you may still be doing something wrong, but there are big things going on societally, demographically with this age group that can just sort of temper that self-loathing, self-criticism that can come when there are struggles, it seems to me. Yeah, that is something that I hope to do is be able to look at those broader social trends and Mm -hmm. how do the trends that we're seeing in our churches kind of fit within that. Mm -hmm. Not that we are driven by society, um, but we also don't exist in a vacuum. And so we have to be aware of kind of what's going on around us. Well, and I think that makes sense with... You know, that's the way we, we study the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we want to understand Abraham. We don't just think about Abraham. We think about in the context of Israel and in the context of the ancient Near East. We think about Jesus. You can't understand Jesus without knowing things about Judaism at that time, without knowing things about the Roman Empire. I mean, how we understand Scripture, we look at those broader contexts. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that we would want to do that if we're understanding our churches, I think. Yeah, it's funny because yeah. one of the things I ask my students to do when we're talking about what does it mean to think sociologically is I ask them, what does it mean to take scripture out of context? Mm-hmm. Because that's something that they all kind of understand because mm-hmm. they've all at least had one Bible class at that point. And they can tell me why it's bad to take scripture out of context. Yeah. And so then I say, well, 
why are we taking people out of context? Mm -hmm. Why aren't we thinking about the context that people exist in and how that drives their actions and how their uh, background and their particular experiences shape the way that they think about the world yeah. and about religion and about faith. Yeah, and that, I think it seems to me, at least I'm, I'm on the outside with this, that that's one of the ways in which, in which sociology is just squarely in the social sciences. Mm -hmm. And we need that. I mean, we are, we're very keenly aware of the need for therapy and counseling and psychology. It's doing the same thing. It's helping us understand in those small and large contexts. Well, so tell uh, our audience about some of the things that you've been able to be involved with, some of the projects that you've helped with, uh, with the Cyber Institute, helped or led. Yeah. So one of the big ones is the church health assessment, okay. uh, which I believe we started working on that seven and a half years ago. Okay. Um, and that is kind of our big thing or the big thing that I work on. Okay. Um, so this is a survey that churches can use. Um, it's got nine factors that kind of are indicators of church health. Mm -hmm. So things like your vision, your mission and goals, your leadership, your finances, worship, um, all of those things that kind of we would think about as being connected or related to how healthy a congregation is. So churches can take that assessment. We set up a link for them. And then I provide a report. So I take all of that data, analyze the data, and provide a report to churches um, through a consultant that okay. they can then work through. So the key with the church health assessment is that it is one tool. And it has to be used in combination with other things. You've got to be able to have conversations. And when you see that there's maybe an area that you're not doing well in, in the church health assessment, you have to dig in. Mm -hmm. You have to find the people that are connected to that that area, that piece of health, and talk to them and ask them kind of what's going on here. So you can do that through focus groups or through interviews, through perhaps forums where people uh, write in answers. Um, so it's a combination tool. But that one's we've worked with over 50 churches now, um, and it's That's been great. very helpful for those churches that have used it. <clears throat> so Excuse when me. you say you can have those conversations, you're talking about the, the forums and the focus group. Is that something that the consultant typically does or that you hand that then off to the church leaders for them to be able to follow up? So it depends on the consultants. There's always a consultant that is working with the church okay. that is helping to guide these conversations because it's important to have kind of someone who understands the church health assessment, but also who's a bit of an outsider. Right who can kind of see the church for what it is rather than for what it historically has been. Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes those conversations take place with the consultant. Sometimes they take place without the consultant. It just kind of depends okay. um, on what the needs of the congregation are and, and kind of where the congregation is at. Um, some congregations can handle those conversations by themselves. Others need a little more help. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, so church health ass assessment, sometimes we refer to it just as CHA. Mm -hmm. That's I think that's how it sticks in my mind. Um, is it right that there are some churches that have now done the CHA two or three times, right? Mm -hmm. o over time, they've been able to see the benefit of that. Um, what do you think is the... What's, what do you think is the value of not just having it as kind of a one-shot deal, but something that maybe can give you some longitudinal data? Yeah. So when you do the CHA, you're getting a snapshot of one point in time. Okay. The point in time when someone sits down at their computer and takes the survey. Mm -hmm. And 
whatever's happening in the church at that moment is going to be reflected in the survey. So if you're in a church that is going through some sort of transition, whether that's a kind of normal transition where you've got a retiring pastor or minister um, and you're in the process of hiring someone or a larger conversation about instruments or women's roles, Mm -hmm. that is going to shape how people respond to that survey. And so what's sometimes helpful is, especially for churches that are going through some sort of change, um, to check back in a year or two later after they've implemented some changes, after they've made done some different things, to see, is this working? How are people feeling today? And so that allows us to really look at this kind of longitudinally, um, look at it over time. And so the churches that we've done this with that have done it more than one time, it's been really fascinating to watch um, them grow mm-hmm. and become healthier. So, you know, they start off really struggling in the midst of some powerful change. And then they work out a strategy um, and they implement that strategy. And then we see them two years later and they're thriving. Um, And then we check it back in two years later after that, and they're still doing really well. And so it's kind of a nice way to see if the changes that you've implemented are bringing about the type of change you wanted. That's great. So it's not not required in any way to Mm -hmm. do it more than once, but there there are benefits that can happen along the way. Yeah, Yeah, certainly. Okay. So you have also been involved with something called the FACT survey, right? Yes. Now, is that part of cyber or is that a separate? I, I don't know as much about that as I do about CHA. <laughs> yeah. So the FACT survey is the Faith Communities Today survey. Okay. And we are, the, the Cyber Institute is the house for that. Gotcha. Um, so this is a national survey that multi, lots of different denominations participate in, um, as well as non-Christian groups. Um, and it is done every couple of years. It's been going on since, I think, 2000. And it just allows churches to kind of um, see what the numbers are, what's Mm -hmm. going on in our congregations. Um, And so it's meant to be a survey or a census of the churches in your denomination. Um, So this is the first year we participated in that. Um, We've done some other surveys like that in the past. I know we were part of something called the Congregational Life Survey back in the early 2000s. Um, It's a similar idea, similar type of survey. It's at the congregational level. So it doesn't collect information from individuals within the congregation. It is what we call a key informant survey. So you have one person who knows about the church. I actually think that the church secretary is probably the best person to answer these questions. (laughs) If if it's Um, someone who knows the church, I think you're probably going to be right. Right. (laughs) Um, And so they answer the questions about how the building is used, Hmm. um, who are the partners in the community, how many people are attending. Um, So there's some basic kind of what we might think of as demographic information. Mm -hmm. And what's helpful about this is that we are going to be able to look at this over time and better understand what's going on in our congregations, the financial state of our congregations, um, as well as kind of geographic patterns Mm -hmm. that will start to emerge. So one of the things about being at ACU is that I think we're very in touch with what's going on with Churches of Christ in Texas and in the Southwest, um, but we may not know as much about what's going on in the Northeast or the Pacific Northwest, places where we don't have COC schools. Um, And so this will allow us to better connect maybe with those congregations. Um, And so that's something that I'm hoping to see in the next couple of rounds is be able to look at that over time and those comparisons. Yeah, that would be great. Cause like you're saying, it's kind of, it functions as a census. Mm-hmm. If, if only one person in a church is responding, but they're representing 
dozens or hundreds of people, we add this up, we're going to be talking about thousands of individuals represented from the Churches of Christ, and then expand that out to other denominations. That'll help us see, like I said, where are there patterns that are more specific to our group, maybe over against other groups, or where are there things that, no, it's really more more regional. This is more of a Sunbelt thing, and it's different in the Northwest or in the Northeast. Um, now, that, that's really interesting. Okay, so these are two projects. Let me give you a kind of a hypothetical one. Let's say uh, that a wealthy donor came along and said, Susie, I'm going to give you a million dollars to start a new project with and for the Cyber Institute. Um, what do you think is something that you would want to study or you think that would be helpful for churches kind of from your specific discipline? How could you use a million bucks? I want to know why people are leaving. Mm. And okay. I want to know for those who stay, what motivates them to stay. Okay. Um, I want to understand, are there, because in some of the studies that I've done in the past where we've actually asked this question, mm-hmm. why have you left? We find that people are not generally leaving over deep theological issues. They're leaving over what they perceive to be relationship issues, mm-hmm. um, social issues. And so I am wanting to understand kind of from the individual who leaves perspective, um, but also from those who stay. Um, I think that would be a really powerful study to be able to give to church leaders and hopefully help them kind of see what they need to do to bring those folks back in. Um, We have kind of a lot of, there's just a lot of changes happened in religion in the United States over the last 30 years, a lot of decline in religiosity. But what's really interesting is that people are still highly spiritual. Mm-hmm. They're still very much influenced by the beliefs that they grew up in, but also the beliefs of those around them. So even if they didn't grow up in church, they were very much influenced by the religion of the, their peers, the people around them. Sure. Um, and so there's still kind of this opportunity to... Um, bring those folks back into community. Mm -hmm. Because again, I think that religion, the power of religion is that community, the social aspect of religion. Um, God set it up that way. He wants us to be in fellowship, not trying to go it alone. Um, And so bringing folks back in is one of the things that I I feel really passionately about. So I think that I would love to see that. So million dollar donors (laughs) out there uh, in the audience, you you know what our address is. in part because what you were describing with the methodology and the the ways that a sociologist can approach this, that would be a conversation that would be really hard for the youth minister to have with the kid who goes through the youth group and is super involved, and then as soon as they graduate, they walk away. Yeah. Because there's a relationship there that's going to make it difficult mm-hmm. to talk about it. But a sociologist can come in from the outside, ask those kinds of questions, maybe anonymously, and get the kind of data that it would be hard for people that are too connected internally to get. Yeah. Well, and it's often hard also to get information on people who've stopped coming. Yeah. Right. We know a lot more about the people who stay. Right. Than we do about those who leave. They're there to ask. And most of mm-hmm. the people who leave, they don't often make a big deal about it. Right. They often float away, mm-hmm. drift away, if you will. Yep. Um, and so we lose contact with them and we don't check in with them necessarily. Right. I think some churches do it a better job at this than others. Well, with the floats, sometimes we don't know that they're gone, gone yeah. <laughs> until it's been a little while. And then, oh, is it awkward? I haven't seen you in four months. And, you know. Yeah, especially post-COVID. Mm-hmm. I'm also very interested in the effects of COVID on this. Has COVID sped up 
this departure from a religious congregation yeah. or a, a, a church. Um, because no. I think it probably has. This is really this is really interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, as we're coming to the end here, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you two choices uh, on the last <laughs> question. You you can pick either one, right? You've got a captive audience here. Um, so option number one is, as a sociologist of religion, what is something that you wish church leaders everywhere would do starting <laughs> yesterday? Like, what what's one thing that you feel like they could do to help the overall health of their church? or that maybe maybe contribute to the overall health of Christianity in the U.S. Or, here's option two, uh, let's say that people are interested in learning more about your field. Is there a book recommendation, a website, um, something that you would give that you would want to encourage them uh, to explore? Yeah, so on the first question, I'll okay. take that one. Okay. Um, I'll probably address the second one as well. That's fine. Um, but on that first one, I want, so one of the other things that I do at ACU that's not affiliated with the Cyber Institute is I am part of the spiritual formation survey that we do for our students every year. And what comes out of that is that our students really are faithful people. Mm -hmm. They are believing, they are spiritual, um, but they are hurt Mm -hmm. by religion. They're coming to us from churches where they have been been hurt in some way um, by perhaps a particular person who has done something that was just not appropriate in a church context. Um, but they are hurting. There is some baggage that they bring to religion. And they don't necessarily want um, kind of a everything's happy perspective on a Sunday morning. They want realness. They want authenticity. Mm-hmm. I don't love the word authenticity, but that's the word that they would use. Yeah. Um, they want to be somewhere where they can talk about that messiness and feel accepted and welcomed. Um, you can tell it like it is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of church leaders think that they are that place, mm-hmm. um, but there's a lot of uh, the perception of young adults is that that's a facade, okay. that there's a facade in place and they want to be able to break through that and okay. have those conversations. Um, so I think that's that's a big part of it. Um, in terms of what to read, there's so much good stuff out there. Um, but a book that recently kind of crossed my desk is a book called Nonverts. Um, yeah, I was talking. I think, somebody was talking about this just the other yeah, day. Yeah, we mm-hmm. were. I think we were talking about it at a at a meeting. Uh, that we were all at, but it's called Nonverts, The Making of Ex-Christian America by Stephen Bullivant, Mm -hmm. um, a sociologist, sociologist of religion. And uh, he's from the UK, um, but is very fascinated with religion in the US because religion in the US is very different than religion in other industrialized nations. So when we think about kind of who else is part of, say, like the G20, those kind of countries, Mm -hmm. we are the most religious of all of those countries. And there's something kind of unique about the U.S. context, and there's lots of different research about that. Um, but we're starting to look more like Western Europe okay. and Australia and Japan and some of those other countries um, in terms of our religiosity and the decline of religion in the U.S. Um, and so I think this book is is really interesting in the way that it thinks about that. And the, the question that it really is asking is, why? Mm-hmm. What's happening? What are the social um, factors that are affecting this? 
Um, and it builds on some other research that has been going on over the last 20 or 30 years. Um, and so it can kind of guide you to, if you're interested in this, to more research oh, in nice. that area. Okay. Well, get well. We always like uh, a good recommendation. And at least for me, I'll say I always like having another uh, another good book to read. So thank you for that. Uh, Susie, thank you so much for taking time to sit down with me. I think it's really good. I'm so glad you're part of our team. Uh, and I'm really glad that our audience is just able to hear from you and just learn more about this. Because for a lot of folks, this is not an area that they really know a lot about. I suspect that we've heard the terms, but just don't really know what's going on there. Um, if people want to connect with you, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Is it social media? Is it email? What would you say? So I'm pretty private on social media. Okay. I have a Twitter account. I do not use it. So the best way is really just through email. Okay. <clears throat> Susie.macaluso at acu.edu. Um, or SCM11A, if you're okay. terrible with spelling. All right. And the Suzy is S-U-Z-I-E, mm -hmm. right? So we're not an S-U-Z-Y place uh, no. around here. Not an S-U-S. Okay. Got it. S-U-Z-I-E. <laughs> Uh, the good thing is you can also find Susie on our website. Mm -hmm. uh, as with so many things with cyber, go to cyberinstitute.org. Uh, down at the bottom of the page, you can click contact our team and you'll see a list of all the folks. Uh, and Susie is right there. I think also with an email address, just in case. Yes, so awesome. that'll be good. Uh, well, again, thank you for your time and to our listeners. We're so glad that you've been with us today. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next time on Live from the Cyber Institute. Thanks for listening today to Live from the Cyber Institute. We would love to connect with you on our social media channels, and you can always find all of our various resources at our website, cyberinstitute.org. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and follow this podcast on your platform of choice, then share it with your friends. Until next time, may God bless you in all that you do.